Good morning. How are y'all? Good. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, welcome to our last week in our Christ in All series. So that actually means that you won't get to hear that awesome sermon bumper music anymore. Right? I heard Bob made a joke about it the first week. I guess most of y'all weren't here. All right. But that's okay. Um, Bob made fun of me, and I was trying to figure out a way to bring it up in a sermon. I kind of flopped, but that's all right. Um, Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We will be in Acts chapter 17. Uh, We'll be there for most of the day today, uh, jump around just a little bit, but uh, feel free to turn there. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, Please feel free to take and to keep that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to have the Word of God and be able to uh, read that throughout the week. So feel free to snag that. Um, We would love for you to have one of those. Also, you can follow along on your smartphone if you wish. Uh, If you have the Uversion app and you go to the tab section, click on live. You can type in the Well Austin and you'll be able to follow along uh, on your phone. There's uh, polls, uh, places for notes, scripture reading, uh, things of that nature. And so if you would like to follow along your smartphone, you could do that. You can also take this link right here and put it right into your browser if you don't have the app and you can follow along that way. We want to provide as many ways as possible for you to be able to follow along in the word to see that what we're saying isn't just me up here communicating, but that it's actually actual word of God, and you can see that and uh, experience that and walk through that with us. And so whatever way works best for you, we'd encourage you to do that um, and follow along with us. All right, so we've been focusing on thinking about how is it that we bring Christ into everything that we do, particularly how is it that we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and through us into different areas of our lives. And so the first week, Bob talked about how do we bring Christ where we play, Okay, so things like, uh, uh, you know, where you go on walks with your children in the park or, or the gym that you're a part of or the soccer league that you're in or whatever you do, uh, the, the bar that you go to frequently for happy hour, whatever it may be that you do, how is it that you bring Christ into that where he can reign and rule and dwell, not just in your life, but also in the lives of others? Last week, we talked about Christ where you work and we began to look at how is it that you bring the gospel of Jesus into your workplace? And we talked a lot about Uh, boldness and obedience and the importance of both of those, where we need to be obedient to what God has called us to do in the Great Commission, but it takes some boldness to do as well. And so both of those need to go hand in hand in order to bring Christ into our workplace. And finally, we're going to be talking about Christ in our neighborhoods or our hood, if you live in the hood, whatever place it is, all right? How is it that you bring Christ to where you live? All right, how is it that you bring the gospel within that to where you live? Our desire is that Christ would be uh, exalted or made much of in every single sphere of our lives. And so we don't just want Christ active in our hearts on a Sunday morning, though we do want him present here as well, but we want him being carried out into our lives. We want him to be exalted, all right? We also want to be disciples and make disciples. And every week we kind of have talked about the three words that we are focusing on as a church where we feel like God has called us to be that is uh, exalted disciple and send. And so we want to exalt Christ everywhere. We want to be disciples and make disciples, both build people up in the faith, but part of discipleship is also seeing people come into the faith. For Jesus said in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. You baptize new converts. And so we see discipleship is holistic, if you will. And all of that takes us living sent lives, lives where we are on mission, where we are running strong with the gospel that Jesus Christ has given to us, that we have received. We send that out into others. And so we want to be a sent church. We said last week that we'll measure our success as a church by sentness, 
right? A made up word, okay? So some of you may not like that. But sentness, all right? How can we send as many people as humanly possible for the sake of the gospel? Because we believe in it that much. That's what we desire to see and do as a church, to live as missionaries who have been impacted by and equipped with the gospel. And so hence the Christ in all series. So throughout the first two sermons, we focus very heavily on our role and kind of our responsibility as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And how do we do these things well? How do we maneuver throughout this world with the gospel? And last week I asked a poll question on our YouVersion app. And so oftentimes there's a, a, an app that we have uh, where there's a, or there's poll questions, sorry, on the app that we give to you. And this was the result. Now the question was, what is your biggest uh, prevention in sharing the gospel? And here are the results, okay? We see that fear actually uh, completely dominated the poll, kind of. And then inadequacy is the second one. So I would encourage you that if you're looking for ways to learn how to share, if you do feel inadequate, sign up for the class that we're going to do next week. It's two weeks long in the morning. Breakfast is provided. It's pretty short, but I think it'll help equip you. It'll also help with your fear as well. But if I had to pick somewhere for myself, I would definitely land in the fear category too. Like the reason that I don't share as much as I desire to is because I have fear. Fear of men, what they may say of me or, or think about me, or even relationship loss, particularly when it comes to friends or close family, even more so. And so last week we talked about being bold and obedient. And I knew that fear would be our strongest thing because as you talk to people, fear is what usually takes over us and it's pretty obvious and evident. And so we talked about boldness and I really do think that boldness is one of the keys to overcome our fear and sharing the gospel which may seem a little bit backwards if you think about it, but I think that us being bold will actually eclipse our fear, mainly because you usually fear what you don't know, right? You usually fear what you don't know. And so I would venture that for most of us, fear has actually prevented us from sharing the gospel but we don't know what it's like to share the gospel. And so we have this fear of the unknown. And so I think that if you're equipped with boldness, if you walk in and share, then all of the kind of preconceived things that you have in your head about what may happen will actually usually be erased, right? And so boldness will actually, I think, help eclipse our field because once we begin to share, we realize it really isn't that scary. It really isn't that threatening, even, particularly where we live in our culture. But oftentimes we create insane stories in our head right? Like if I share the gospel with my grandpa, then he's going to hate me. And all of a sudden my brain starts going wild, right? And I start thinking crazy things like, what if he like grabbed the knife and threw it at me because he was mad? All right. I know some of you don't think like that. Half of you looked at me like I was crazy. I am partly, okay? But uh, we begin to think about different things in our head. We introduce fear, and so it stifles us not to share. So I do think that boldness is one of the keys at overcoming this. But in our text today, I want to start off with something that will also hope encourage us out of our fear, all right, I think that a secondary thing is boldness, but I actually think that what we're going to be talking about today will be the primary thing to help us learn how do we actually bring Christ to where we are and how do we actually do this without fear, realizing that we've been equipped with the gospel. And so here we go, Acts chapter 17, uh, just a little bit of background, quick background story. Paul is in Athens, all right, we're the same as modern day Athens, he was back then, and Athens was a city that was full of idols. They had a flurry of idols all over the place. They worshiped all types of Greek gods. And so Paul goes and he's been sharing with them and they're giving him a platform to preach and to speak. And so here's what Paul says. We're going to pick it up in verse 22. By the way, didn't uh, Genevieve do a great job today reading in German? That was great. I love the diversity of the church where we get like a different language every week. I feel like I'm becoming fluent, even though I didn't understand anything she was saying. All right. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 22. 
So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now, there's a ton of truths here, okay? I could actually spend probably about two hours in this text alone, but none of you will come back next week. And I love you guys. I want you to come back. So we're not going to do that. We're going to kind of fly through these a little bit. And so I'm going to have to ask you to kind of keep up with the text here because there's a lot of truth here, okay? First of all, we see in verse 24 that God is the creator of everything. Now, that sounds pretty simple, particularly if you grew up in church or have an understanding of God, but oftentimes we read scripture devoid of our imagination. Don't do that, okay? Read scripture and think about what it's implicated. God is the creator of everything. It says on, on earth and in heaven. So think about the, the, the largeness of God there, okay? That means he's created every human, every animal, Every cell, every plant, every galaxy, every angel, all the cool things that are in heaven that we don't really know about. You know, it says that the streets are paved with gold and there's all these rainbows kind of going throughout. And I don't really know what heaven looks like, but I'm assuming that we can begin to imagine it's better than what we have here, right? Well, God created all of that, Scripture says. Every single thing that we can see, God created And then from that creation made us to be creators where we take what he has created, cultivate it, create some more and get speakers and microphones and cell phones and chairs and all the things that we see around us. This was equipped by God who is the creator of all things in the beginning. God said, let there be and there was. And so we notice that God is the creator. Notice also in verse 24 that it says that God does not live in earth or in things that men have made, right? God is above this earth. He does not live in temples or man-made objects. In fact, the only thing that we see God dwelling in, in the New Testament at least, is man, which he created. And so God actually only dwells in things that he himself has created. Dwells in heaven, we see, and in men. And even that is God interacting with us, almost humbling himself so that we may see and perceive who he is. God is above all of these things. He is a big God. God does not dwell in man-made objects. We see in verse 25, if we keep going, that God is not served by us, okay? That means that God is completely and totally self-sufficient. This means that he needs nothing or no one to survive. Even more than that, the things that are present do not make more of him than what he already is. You tracking with that? So like the star does not make God more beautiful, In fact, what the star does is it shows part of the beauty of God, but only a small piece of it. And that's true of humans and animals and plants and everything that's around. They're all glimpses or pieces of the beauty and the glory of who God is. And so everything created exemplifies or makes much of Jesus, but it doesn't uh, uh, add to who Christ is. 
right? It serves to show who he is. Once again, we could stretch this for days, but I'm hoping you're getting a picture of God in your head that's beginning to make him fairly large, okay? One of the things that I think this text says is that God is completely self-sufficient and we as humans are completely self-reliant. God is completely self-sufficient and we are completely self-reliant. Scripture in other places says that our very breath, God is the one sustaining, that any minute he can remove his hand and we would cease to be able to exist. And so God uh, uh, is a completely self-sufficient being, does not need us, but we deeply need him, even for our very being, Scripture lays out. And so this massive God we're beginning to create, okay? God doesn't even need us, this text says, in our service. He's not served by us, right? Now, that may offend some of you because you want to be bigger than you actually are, but let Scripture take its root a little bit. It says that we're pretty small and that God is pretty big, Okay, now this will hopefully encourage you in a second rather than discourage you as you see God's play in the gospel being played out. But, but this scripture is painting a massive picture of God, right? That he doesn't even need us. Now, I will say that you can in fact advance the kingdom because God has called us to be servants of the gospel. And that's what this whole series is about, right? How do we be ambassadors or how do we be uh, servants? How do we bring the gospel to others? And we can actually do that. In fact, when we share the gospel and as we go out and make much of Jesus, what begins to happen is the church or the kingdom of God does in fact get built up. That is good for our lives because as the kingdom gets built up, we ourselves experience more joy. We see more family come in. We're edified, we're equipped, we're made more beautiful, but that does not make more of God than he already is. You tracking with that? And so we can be built up. We can be encouraged as we are ambassadors for Jesus. We actually get to see the beauty of God unfolding in front of us, redemption being brought, our sins being laid aside, our our joy being filled, our love being made complete. All those things are true. So it does in fact benefit us because we can be built up. We can be made more of than we are today. But God is already God. There's nothing that we can do that would make him more God than he already is. You tracking with that? And so God is this huge God. He's completely self-sufficient uh, 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 and we are self-reliant, okay? And so God is big. Now, I know you're probably thinking, I thought we were gonna be talking about our encouraging of not having fear to share the gospel and how to love our neighbors. That's true, all right? This is getting to the point of that. And so don't worry, I'm not having a Tory moment. Maybe a little bit, okay, but not too bad, all right? Um, We are moving in that direction. But I think it's important for us to see who God is, see him for who he really is. Um, Because uh, don't you want a God like how we just mentioned? Don't you want a God that's that big? Okay, once again, we're not even covering a millipercentage of his greatness here. We're not even beginning to scratch the surface of the greatness, the, the beauty of our God. Matter of fact, most of scripture is trying to unveil this beauty of God. And even if we took all of the Bible and went through every single attribute, we wouldn't even come close to mentioning the beauty of who God is. Don't you want a God that's that big? Not one that you can control with your mind. Not one that needs you to serve him. Don't you want a God like that? Because think about it, if you needed to serve God, that would mean that God needs you to exist, making him reliant on you, making you God a little bit, right? If he was made more of by you, wouldn't that be exalting you above into the position of Godhood a little bit? 
If you know what's right and God does not know what's right, you are the right one. That means you are smarter than God in blank situation, meaning you're God in that situation. We want a God that's above us, that's bigger than us, that knows what's right. Because I sure as heck don't want a God that looks like you. And you sure as heck don't want a God that looks like me. I mean that. In fact, all of you would probably be dead if God looked like me. Because none of you can drive in Austin. All right? I'm sure that I've cussed all of you out in my head at some point while we're driving. And I probably would have offed you at that moment. All right? You don't want a God that looks like me. Because in that situation, I think I know what's best. How dare you cut me off? Do you know that I'm late to a meeting? Which is probably my fault in the first place anyway. Right? I'm trying to get somewhere and boom. Like, no, you don't want a God that looks like us. Even to the person who I feel like I try to serve the most, my wife, she does not want a God that looks like me. If, she, if that was it, if that's what God was, I think she'd be pretty depressed, all right? We don't want a God that looks like us. We want a God that's bigger than us, that we can't control, that's far beyond our imagination, that as we even try to begin to think about him, it doesn't even scratch the surface, And that's the picture that we begin to see pointed out here. That's the picture that we begin to see Paul trying to unfold for us is that God is bigger. He's a creator over everything. He doesn't live in things that man has made, which actually ironically brings us into Christ where we live, okay? If God is that big, if God is that sovereign, if God is that huge, then this actually plays massively into our text. Let's read verse 26 and 27 again, thinking about what Paul just said in 24 and 25. 26, And he made, we already established he's the creator, from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. What a beautiful ending Paul puts there. Hey, let me show you this huge God that's kind of above even heaven, but he's not that far from any one of us. He's distant but present. He's massive yet intimate. There's this beautiful picture of God, okay? God is so huge and so big. So what does this text say then? In God's bigness, in his hugeness, okay, that God has placed every single person where they should live, in the families that they should live in, in the time period in history in which they should be born so that they might have the best opportunity at coming to know who he is. That's a big God and that's the type of God that you want. That God is that sovereign or that in control of your life that he literally places you in the very family in which you'd be born in, in the neighborhood that you would live, that you would have the best chance at coming to know who he is. That's a massive God. That's a very beautiful God. And if you don't think that God loves you or you're struggling with with the suffering that's going on in your life, let this verse be one of the verses of promise for you. God loves you so much that he has literally orchestrated your life to try to give you the best chance at knowing him and not suffering for eternity, and not being separated from love, and not being separated from joy, but having it to the fullest. God has orchestrated your life. God loves you. That's why he's put you where he's put you. This means that every single one of your neighbors, neighbors, and even you in the neighborhood or the family that you live in, even right now, God is placed there because he wants them to find him. 
And God may be trying to use you, if you already know Jesus, to be that impactor in your neighborhood. That's what this text highlights for us. God in his sovereignty actually places us where he wants us to be that people may have the best chance at knowing him. I mean, your next door neighbor that you really don't like may actually be there sovereignly because God wants to use you to draw them toward the beauty of the gospel. That means you're down the street neighbor who's having problems. That means the one with roosters across the street that wake my daughter up at 6 a.m. Yes, that's real, (laughs) all right? Maybe God has them there so that we can interact with the beauty of the gospel and they can begin to see it. And so listen, the reason that this should actually still our fear is because what this means is that God has already gone before us. You tracking with that? God has already gone before us. God's already active. He's already gone before you. He's already active in people's lives to try to give them the best chance that they have to come to know the beauty of the gospel. God's already moving in those ways. This means that your neighbor, he or she lives by you because God loves them and is interacting in their life, trying to help them see the beauty of the gospel. You may be the best chance that they have at feeling their way toward God because he's not far from them, this text says. He's actually very close to them. And so even if you're here today and you got invited by a neighbor or you live in this neighborhood, you decide to check us out or whatever it may be, and you don't know Jesus, here's what I want you to take away from this text. God loves you. God loves you desperately. The reason that you were born into the family that you were born into, the reason that your neighbor or your friend is interacting in your life is because God's trying to reveal himself to you. And I would encourage you, ask that neighbor, ask that friend, why do you love Jesus so much? And let them begin to explain the beauty of the gospel. God loves you. He wants you to know him. This is why he's orchestrating your life to be here, even in this church, even at this moment, while we're talking about sharing the gospel with you. God is literally trying to orchestrate that you would see the beauty of the gospel. That's God's goodness in your life. That's his love for you. And so if you don't know Jesus, that's where I would say I want you to take away from this sermon is that God loves you. He has orchestrated your life that you may know him, that you may see him. He's that huge, that real, that beautiful. And friends, God is already at work in people's lives around you. You just get to play. Go play. Go have fun. I mean that, okay? Go interact in the kingdom in such a way that you would get to see God begin to unveil his plan to the people around him. And by the way, this includes your kids too. We're born in the families in which we're born into, right? I know that right now in our church there are 10 people that are pregnant, okay? That's a lot of pregnancies because you can look around the room, there's only about 120 people, all right? Like a 10th of our church is pregnant right now, okay? That means that, and like three babies were just born, okay? That means that God literally has orchestrated into your very womb a child that would be born into your family, that they would have the best chance at coming to know Jesus through y'all, through you and your husband or, 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 or through you, that, that, that they would see the beauty of the gospel. God is orchestrating people's lives that they may know him because God wants people to know him. He is that good. I told you last week, that's why I didn't grow up in Westlake or in Terrytown. I didn't grow up in uh, riches. In fact, I grew up in poverty. Matter of fact, I grew up in a lot of suffering, abuse in the home. My dad was abusive to me and to my mom physically and emotionally. There was drugs around our house. All those things we would count as negative, but God knew that placing me in that position would be the best chance of me having salvation, and I would never trade that. I would never trade that for a a nicer car when I'm in high school. (laughs) 
or, or more family vacations because we had the money to do so or whatever it may be. Those things are not bad. They may be good things, but I now know Jesus because of how he's orchestrated my life. And so even your suffering, God is trying to orchestrate it so that you would have the best chance at knowing him. So maybe you did grow up in Westlake or Tarrytown. That's great. That was the best chance at you coming to know who Jesus was. God is that sovereign in our life. Also, what this text shows us is that God is the true and ultimate missionary. Okay? Now, we don't have time to go through all of Scripture, but in Genesis chapter 3, God comes down because Adam and Eve have sinned. They ate the apple. They disobeyed God. They created a barrier between them and God. And God, the missionary, comes down and calls out to Adam and Eve and says, Hey, where are y'all? Oh, oh we're, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we saw that we were naked. They said, and God said, who told you you were naked? Which I always think is a really funny question, all right? Like they were naked before they didn't know it, and then they were like, oh my gosh, what is this, all right? And then they went and hid, okay? So they put fig trees around their parts, all right? If you don't know what a fig tree leaf looks like, go look at it, and you'll see the stupidity of man playing out in Genesis 3, all right? It's pretty pokey and not the greatest to put over those parts. Let's just put it like that, all right? God, the missionary God, calls out to them, okay, says, hey, what you have done is wrong, but then he offers the Messiah. Before there's any cursing of the ground or the snake, God says, I will send a savior to, 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 to redeem this situation. Then he clothes them with animal skin, much better feeling, but even representing a sacrifice that had to happen to bring about redemption. God loves them. You see God in Exodus literally prophesying they would be in there for 400 years and that God would bring them out, that they would get to experience salvation. God going before them, fighting all their battles, it says, in the midst of Israel, fighting their battles. And then God the Son, Jesus, comes down in the form of a man, dies on the cross for our sin. Romans 5 says, while we are enemies of God, he actually came, he created a way, then he called out to us, then he beckoned us to himself. God is the ultimate missionary. God has always gone before us and God has gone before you with your neighbors. He has orchestrated their lives in such a way to live where they are today or to live where you are today that people may have the best chance at coming to know who God is God is that good. He longs for people to come into the kingdom. God wants your neighbor to be saved more than you do. That truth should help eradicate your fear because that means that God is interacting as much as he can in their life to, to, to not make them a robot, right? But almost, he's doing as much as he can to try to orchestrate their lives that they would have the best chance to come in and know Jesus. And you may say, well, you don't know my life. I, I, you're right, I don't. I know that God's creating it in the best way that you may know him. It's just our hearts are hard sometimes. Or our minds are stubborn. We want God to look like how we want him to look. But that's why this, the scripture starts off. No, God is big. He's beyond us. But he does love us. He's intimate. He's trying to create a way. God longs for you, your neighbor, to know him. 1 Timothy 2.4, right? It says that God longs for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of him or the knowledge of the truth right? Uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, so the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Now, what he's saying there is about him uh, returning and coming back. And so Christians were suffering. They were like, Lord, how long are we going to be being persecuted and, and beheaded? And what's going on? And Peter says, look, God isn't slow to fulfill his promise. He will indeed come back, except he's patient 
towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all would reach repentance. I'm so glad he waited uh, 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 12 more years for me to be saved. Because 12 years ago, 13 years ago, if he had come back, I wouldn't have known him. And so in his patience, he allowed me to wrestle with him and to come into the gospel. That's why he's waiting. You see, God longs for people to be saved. God longs for people to be saved. One of my old neighbors, I was thinking about stories of neighboring this week. One of my old neighbors actually prayed two days before Natalie and I moved into our old house in Waller that God would place somebody in his life whom he trusted, that he would be able to talk about God with because he didn't know if God existed and he was really wrestling. At the same time, Natalie and I were really frustrated at the Lord because we felt like God was calling us to plant a church in East Austin and we're trying to find housing in East Austin and there were no houses on the market, all right? And so a day before we had to leave for Christmas break or go to my family, I should say, not leave for Christmas break, but went up to my family's house to go see them. We were literally leaving. I was driving for one last ditch effort turned down the street, saw a for sale sign. I'm like in the airport calling, hey, do you have this house available? Because if we come back without a house, we're like homeless. All right, now some of y'all, we would have probably called up to try to sleep on your couch or something, but we didn't want that to happen, right? And so boom, God opened up the house, put us in. We came back for Christmas break. My friend prays this. Two days later, my wife takes cookies to their house. I feel kind of weird taking cookies. It was a group of like five guys. They were watching a game and I was like, do you guys want some cookies? <laughs> right? Felt kind of weird. For whatever reason, that created trust. And then we began a relationship that carries out into today. And he's still wrestling with Jesus. He's still wrestling with the gospel. I invite him to church literally every week. And every week he's still trying to wrestle, but God literally orchestrated it so that we would be there where we are, that they may know him. Even this week, I was thinking, got to invite neighbors over to our community group when we did a barbecue and watched game two, Go Warriors, right? We got to uh, uh, play soccer with my neighbor on Wednesday night, played a doubleheader, and it was hot, <laughs> all right? But it was fun because I realized God is orchestrating it in such a way we had so much in common, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. God is probably wanting that man to come to know who Jesus is. We had a fence built in our backyard and uh, the, the, the fencers tore down my next door neighbor's fence inappropriately. And so now he's talking about like suing us or something. Seems like a negative situation, all right? And it may be in the long run, but what if the Lord has literally placed us there to force interaction to where we would get opportunity to share with him? That would be worth whatever amount of money it costs to put up another little chain link fence. God is orchestrating in our lives the best chance at, at, at us coming to know him and at people around us coming to know who he is because God loves us. So God goes before us. This should still our fear. This should still our concern because God wants people to be saved. We just get to play. We just get to play within that. Now, there's still a responsibility on us, okay? And so I'm gonna finish out this text and we're gonna go through this piece of scripture faster than we've ever gone through this amount of verses before, okay? Because it's gonna be ironic if you were here last week in particular. Now let's finish the text, ready? Uh, verse 28. For, Paul's still speaking, in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. 
The times of ignorance, God is overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some of the men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. All right? So how did Paul go about sharing the gospel? God went before him as orchestrating his life, because we still have to be bold, we still have to be obedient, and open up our lips to actually share. And so how did Paul do it? Ironically, it's the exact same five points as last week. Okay, so if you were here last week, I'm not going to repeat the sermon. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you, go listen to it because that's what literally this whole text was about. But I copy and pasted the slide from last week. I didn't change anything on this, all right? It's the exact same method that he used when he was working with people and building tents with them. It's the exact same method that he uses here, all right? And so let's think about it. Let's look at it. Uh, 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 Paul um, is seeking. So in verse uh, 23 there, it says that he passed along, he observed, right? He's interacting in their culture, trying to figure the culture out well. So he's seeking. Paul was purposeful in verse 23. He says, to the unknown God, right? You have an idol to the unknown God. And let me begin to explain who this unknown God is. And so he's clearly trying to think about how do I bring the gospel into this culture? He's being purposeful in their lives. Paul identifies, now last week identification was easy right? Because Paul was a tent maker and he hung out with other tent makers and it was easy to identify. This week is a little bit different. And so what Paul, what Paul does is quote two of their poets, okay? Now it may not seem like a lot, but what I actually did was I stole one of the poems that Paul had and I want to read it to you and tell me if Paul's not doing the ultimate contextualization. It should be up on the screen as well. This poem says, from Zeus, let us begin. Him do we mortals never leave unnamed. Full of Zeus are all the streets and all the marketplaces of men. Full is the sea and the havens thereof. Always we all have need of Zeus. For we are also his offspring. There's what Paul quotes. And he in his kindness unto men giveth favorable signs and wakeneth the people to work, reminding them of livelihood. Paul is identifying with him, quoting a very pagan poem, right? Like if I came up and used this as my sermon illustration today, I don't think y'all would listen to a lot of what I was saying, right? But Paul at some point found a way to get into their society, to see what was going on, and then to begin to uh, uh, quote that to them, showing, look, there is truth in what you're saying. It would be similar to taking some absurd song today, I can't think of any that are absurd enough, all right? But some crazy rap song where it's just talking about negative things or some weird country song that's always sad and something bad is always happening. Paul would take something like that and use it and flip it and say, hey, you see that line? There's actually truth in that. Here's the beauty of it. And then Paul from that would explain the gospel. He's identifying with them. He was persistent. Now we didn't read this verse, but in verse 17, it says he was in the synagogue and the marketplace every day. You can't be more persistent than every day, right? And then he evangelized, verse 29 through 31. He explained the gospel, what Jesus did for us, and explained the resurrection. It says some people got saved. The exact same points for last week. And so the way that we share is the same, but the context is just now where we live. 
How do we do that? Maybe it's watching some weird show with your neighbors, right? Or maybe they really, maybe you really, really like a, a house of cards and, and so do they. Well, do it together. You can contextualize and then you can talk about how power corrupts and, and there's only one person with good power or something. I don't know. Whatever it may be, right? You can begin to interact in their lives, recognizing that God has gone before us. He's prepped hearts that they might know the gospel. Real quick, I wanna show you one last thing. Look at verse 24 again. The God who made the world and everything in it being the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. Do you know where Paul got that truth from? Because it's not really quoted, okay, throughout scripture, but Paul is quoting somebody. Well, if you go back to Acts chapter seven, so flip back a couple of pages, verse 48. This is the, the martyrdom of Stephen, the first, uh, 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 um, the first man that was killed for the Christian faith. And in verse 48, Stephen says, yet the most high does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, then he goes on. And do you know who actually was standing over Stephen as he was laying dead? Paul. Stephen discipled Paul, even though Paul actually killed that man. Yet somehow it made such an impact in Paul's life that he carried it with him for those many years. And then when he was standing at the Areopagus, he re-said the same thing that Stephen said to him. Don't think that people aren't listening just because they reject you. Truth is powerful. And if you open your lips and if you are bold, the gospel can sink deep. And it may be many years later until they fully realize it, but you can make a difference in their life. I wanna bring Todd up. Um, Todd is a good friend of ours and is a covenant member. And um, I want to, every week we kind of have brought somebody up and have talked about um, just different ways that we've seen them in their lives, see the gospel in their play or in their work. And so now um, we're gonna talk to Todd about the gospel uh, where we live. And so Todd, give us a little bit. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Just kind of give us some background on you. <laughs> they do a great job sitting through the service. <laughs> really yeah, appreciate that. Uh, so we've been here for three years in Austin. We moved from North Carolina to here. We lived in Amsterdam for seven years as missionaries. And my wife grew up in, uh, in uh, Colorado and I grew up in Michigan. And, yeah, Michigan. Go Michigan. Everybody who grew up in Michigan, raise your hand. Look at that. There's a lot of Michiganders in here. I love it. Okay. <laughs> so, so we've been here for three years and uh, we're here to help with the church. Pastor of church, and that you know, through different circumstances, decided that, that that wasn't what God was doing to continue to see that church uh, move forward. So we closed the church, and a few of us joined up with Tori here. And I'm working as a I run a pool cleaning business, and also am employed through Great Commission Ministry as a missionary in Austin. Perfect. Um, so tell us a little bit, Christ, where you live. How have you seen the gospel sort of take root in your neighborhood? Yeah, that's a good question. So. When we moved to Austin, I mean, I think God really had a plan for us to live where we live and moved us in that, that neighborhood. And so our thought is that Jesus is within us, so therefore Jesus is in our, in our neighborhood through us because he's in us. So, and he wants us to be a blessing to our neighborhood and make an impact in our neighborhood. And so we just pray for our neighbors, pray for our neighborhood. I mean, that's one way that we kind of try to engage. We prayer walk our neighborhood. 
I've taken my kids, Amelie and Gabe, and we'll go door to door, actually, and just tell our neighbors, hey, we're praying for our neighborhood. We live in the neighborhood. Is there anything we can pray for you? And, uh, you know, sometimes people's hearts are a little more open when you have a little 10-year-old there. (laughs) Slam the door on your face. That's bad. (laughs) But, you know, some people aren't interested, of course, but some people have been, and let us pray for them. And, you know, we uh, prayed for a a family that just had a little baby. We got to pray for them. And then we got to come back and visit them again and bring them some banana bread and, you know, stuff like that. We got to pray and minister to a couple people in the family, someone who just went through a divorce. She really was thankful and let us pray for her. Uh, we've gotten a, we just try to engage our, our next-door neighbors in them knowing, you know, our faith. And we've developed good relationship with our next-door neighbors, and we have lots of spiritual conversations with them. We, uh, we kind of do a, a, a fireside chat where we have a fire have beer, and we just talk about God, because he's an, he's an atheist, but he really likes to engage in spiritual conversations. So regularly, we'll, we'll bring up different topics. Like we just had one about morality, you know, maybe before the, all the rain was going on, we had a, we had a fireside <laughs> talk about where's morality come from. So just trying to engage in those kinds of ways. Um, also a neat thing, just as we pray for the neighborhood, um, believing God has us there for a purpose, I, I was praying, and I met a guy in the park one day, and he found out he was living in a halfway house in our neighborhood, so I began to meet with him in the halfway house. We started doing Bible study there with the other guys. And God began to really get a hold of his life. And I've been able to stay with him and kind of as a friend and disciple over the last couple of years. He's moved into another apartment complex where he's really sharing Christ with people there. And some people got come, come to know the Lord through his life in that apartment complex. But that's just really, I think prayer is a lot of it. Mm. That's great. Um, two quick questions. One, did you make the banana bread that you gave to your neighbor? No. All right. We just wanted to make sure. We just wanted to see. Try to see if, you know, so you can get some banana bread from him. I'll try to help you out, all right? Um, My wife is the cook. All right. Uh, secondly, what would you, like, I guess how many people have you seen that show a serious interest in the gospel, maybe even that have converted or that you're still kind of regularly uh, uh, having a relationship with? What would your guesstimate there be? In, um, well, it just in, in your neighborhood, just in your neighborhood, neighborhood, yeah. In my neighborhood, we have, I mean, I have conversations with, well, particularly with our just two next-door neighbors that are, we, we share Christ with, they haven't come to know the Lord yet, but um, probably just a few people who have got, came to know Christ through mm-hmm. my, my meeting that guy in the park, and maybe four or five people. That's great. Yeah. But, I would, st- but we still have connection with other people we prayer walk and we'll touch base with. Yeah. That's great. What would you say kind of the biggest encouragement, if you will, to give to us to bring Christ into our neighborhood? What would you say are maybe one or two things that you would encourage us to do? Uh, I think for sure prayer. I mean, praying for your neighbors and praying that, you know, just that you are spiritually sensitive and open. Because a lot of times we're not even thinking. We just, we think we, we go home and our home is our safe place. You know, like check out and close everything, the doors, and we're just home. But really, God does have you there for a purpose. And if you're praying for your neighbors, God will open opportunities to, to engage with them and share with them. And then just being thoughtful. Who can, you, who can you be a blessing to? Who can you serve? We have a next-door neighbor who's sick, so we try to serve him and take his trash out when we can. You know, just how can I, how can I be present in, my, present in my neighborhood to serve, to love, to share people? And um, God has you there. Like Tori said, play. Because when you get to do God's work, it's fun. You know, we get scared, oh, you know, but actually it's really fun to, to, you get to see, we went and prayer walked, and we got to pray for a woman. She said, man, we just got divorced, my kids are really having a hard time, I can't believe you guys came to my door right now, I really need prayer. And wow, we got to be a part of that, hmm. and, and just, just one day, my daughter and Amelie went knocking on doors, you know, to pray for people. Hmm. Like, it's scary, you know, it's weird, but we got to be a blessing, and so I just pray and care 
and share. That's perfect. Thank you, brother. Give us out of him. Um, Todd is actually leading up our evangelism class. So as he mentioned that he was a missionary here as well, he spent several years in Amsterdam. So for the next two weeks, uh, Todd's going to be helping us learn how to do some of those things, okay? Now, can I tell you something about Todd? Todd is not awesome, okay? I asked him permission if I could say that from up front. I don't know if he thought I would say it that bluntly, (laughs) all right? Todd is not awesome. Jesus is. Jesus is, Okay? Todd has been doing a phenomenal work here in Austin. So he said he's seen a couple of people get saved around him. I asked him right before service, I said, hey, how many people have you seen come to know Christ in the past two years? And he said that he personally, through his own ministry, has seen somewhere around 20, all right? When you don't know what that number is, but you know that it's somewhere around 20, you've seen a lot. And then through his network of things that he's seen, and he'll disciple a guy and he'll go share, he said over 100 people, have come to know Christ. Todd isn't awesome. Jesus is. We, you and I, I am not awesome. But Jesus is. And the same Holy Spirit that dwells inside of Todd is the same Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, is the same person interacting in your neighbors and in your coworkers and where you play at. And you can see fruit too. You can see God interact in those ways if you be bold, if you step out, if you go play. Man, God has orchestrated it in such a way that people would come to know him. See, God went before Todd. There is a reason why Todd was in Amsterdam and then in North Carolina and then in Austin at a church thinking it was supposed to be at that church, but then something else happened and now he's here and God's orchestrating life that people would come to know him. God's doing the same thing in your life if you are open and ready to be used by the Holy Spirit, if you are bold with your lips, you will get to see God do amazing things. I told you last week, I ended last week, I'll end this week with the exact same thing. Scripture says it's better to give than to receive. You receiving the gospel, you thought that was cool? Wait till you give it to someone else and you see them receive it. The joy is even more immeasurable. Be bold. Be bold. I'm going to have the band come up here, and um, we're going to do something a little bit different today, okay? And so there's going to be a lot of moving around a little bit. I'm going to need you to stay with me here for a second, okay? Sorry, thank you. (laughs) Um, In a moment, the ushers are going to go back, and they're going to prepare to receive uh, this morning's tithes and offerings. And um, so when they come forward, which they will hear in a moment, not yet, but um, what I would encourage you to do is, hey, uh, if you came prepared to give to do that, all right? We think that the church is one of the ways in which we can bring the gospel into the world. And so we're supporting that, right? And we're giving back to God what he's given to us. But if you're a guest, don't feel pressure. That's not what this is about. Okay, we want to give back to God what he has given to us. Um, I would encourage you, though, drop your communication card in the offering. I see some of you filling that out. Thank you. Um, Drop that in when it comes by. It'll come by in a minute, okay? Every week, what we do is we have communion set up at both sides. And one of the things that we love doing is celebrating Jesus. And so as we're talking about Christ and all and us sharing the gospel, what I hope is done even just a little bit is remind you of the gospel that you yourself have received. Jesus was so good to you that he came and died on the cross, that his body was broken, his blood was spilled so that we may be washed clean. 
And so I would encourage you, we're going to sing a couple of songs here at the end. And at some point during those songs, if you would go and take a piece of that bread and, and dip it in the juice to remind yourself of the beauty of the gospel, that would be awesome, okay? And so that's one thing we do to celebrate every week. One of the things that we did is in your seat when you came in, there was a little tiny card called an impact card. All right, I left mine on the stand, but that's okay. A little impact card, all right? Here's what I want to do right now. Over the last three weeks, we've talked about Christ where you play, uh, Christ where you uh, work, and Christ where you live. And so one of the things that Todd talked about a lot that I agree with and would encourage you in is that we want to be actively praying for different people in our lives. And so if you're a Christian and if you call the well your home, even if you don't, but you want to do this, I would encourage you, grab one of those lists, and there are two of them on there for a reason. I want you to fill out both of them with the same five names. All right, there are five names you can write down. I want you to write down a, na- a list of five people that you can be praying for who don't know Jesus that you wanna see come to know Jesus, that you want them to be impacted by the gospel. That's why it's called an impact list. That they would be impacted by the gospel, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to think family members, coworkers, neighbors. Maybe you don't even know this neighbor's name yet. It's the lady with the cat, <laughs> or the man that leaves his house at five, or whatever it may be. I want you to write those down, okay? I want to begin to pray for them. So I'm going to have the ushers come forward and give the tithes and offerings, but I'm going to give you a chance to write down those names, okay? Hold on to that impact list. And then when the, when the ushers are done, I'll give us the final instructions. Thank you.